Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, March 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Governor Reeves addresses his constituents. Then, how Mississippi's rural hospitals are are adapting to the coronavirus outbreak. Plus, a closer look at the TANF embezzlement case. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves took to Facebook Monday to address constituents and answer questions. Reeves remained self-quarantined since his return from Spain last weekend, even though he and his family haven't shown any symptoms. Reeves began by addressing the rising number of cases of COVID-19 in Mississippi. He says he expects that number to grow. I want you to understand uh, that the fact that we have seen an increase in cases over the last uh, 10 days is not surprising. As we bring more and more testing centers online, we're going to see more and more positive cases. And so we fully anticipate that the number of positive cases in our state is going to continue to grow. And we're continuing to work with uh, our experts uh, to do everything possible uh, to protect uh, the health of Mississippians. The most recent data from the Mississippi Department of Health reveals 249 presumptive cases of COVID-19. Health Department data also shows nearly one quarter of infections are requiring hospitalization. Governor Reeves says he is not planning to issue a shelter-in-place order for Mississippi. When asked about the effectiveness of shutdowns in other countries, Reeves responded, I will tell you that Mississippi's never going to be China. Mississippi's never going to be North Korea. When looking at the numbers that that China is putting out, claiming that they have no new cases over a period of time, I'm not entirely sure that we can trust that data. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to make the decisions that are in the best interest of Mississippians. We're going to make the decision that that we're going to do what we believe uh, is focused on doing the most good. We're not going to make decisions that have the potential of, of really causing more harm than they have of actually producing good. 
Um, we're working very hard uh, to take the advice of our experts, first at the CDC with the Coronavirus Task Force by, um, led by Vice President Pence that was put in place by President Trump. Uh, and we're listening to the advice of our healthcare officials here in Mississippi, and particularly our state health officer and the Department of Health. Um, we understand uh, that people are nervous. We understand that people are scared. What I would encourage you to do um, is if you feel that a statewide lockdown should be occurring, then you should put yourself on individual lockdown. If that's what you believe is best for you and your family, uh, then, then that's fine. That is not the guidance that we are getting from our experts, and so I just want you to know that. Sixteen states, including neighboring Louisiana, have issued statewide stay-at-home orders. Four others have issued partial orders. The Mississippi Department of Health is recommending social distancing measures that include no gatherings of 10 or more individuals. It has also recommended bars and restaurants suspend dine-in service and operate solely with to-go or curbside service. Governor Reeves comments parallel statements made by President Donald Trump during a Monday evening press conference. The governor also indicates he's working with state officials to extend the tax filing deadline for Mississippians. I do anticipate that that will be pushed out. Um, I don't know exactly the date at this time, uh, although uh, I will tell you that unlike the federal government, Mississippi's fiscal year ends June 30th. Um, obviously, as we uh, look, to, um, look to complete our fiscal year, our Constitution requires that we have a balanced budget. So what I want to encourage Mississippians to do with respect to the April 15th tax deadline is that if you have the ability to pay early or pay between now and April 15th, please do so. Uh, it certainly would help us from a cash flow standpoint. Um, if, you have, if you are a business or an individual that has the ability to pay, I encourage you to do so. We are looking at relaxing uh, those rules, and I think we should. Governor Reeves will hold a press conference with members of the state's coronavirus response team today at the governor's mansion. To stay current on the latest developments concerning the coronavirus in Mississippi, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, how Mississippi's rural hospitals are adapting to the coronavirus outbreak. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Many rural hospitals in Mississippi are already struggling financially, and now the coronavirus is placing more strain on their limited budgets. Mississippi Hospital Association CEO Tim Moore says rural hospitals rely on revenue from elective procedures and doctor's appointments, which they now have to cancel. He tells our Desiree Frazier as Mississippi's rural hospitals prepare for a potential outbreak, concerns are mounting. Concerns for the hospitals are certainly... Uh personal protective equipment, uh, being able to, um, everybody wants to know if they have 
COVID-19 or not. If you're not symptomatic, you do not need to go and request a test. Those tests need to be conserved for uh, individuals that are symptomatic so that they can get the treatment they need as we go forward and healthcare uh, workers become um, exposed to this disease or this virus, uh, we may need those kits to test them so that we know if they can continue to care for our patients. Uh, it's a uh, it's a frightening thing. Um, if you start looking at the number of hospital beds that are going to be needed uh, in comparison to what's going on in Washington State, uh, I'm sure that everyone is watching what's happening in New York. Uh, and if you go uh, to Europe, how it exploded there, uh, I will be shocked if by the end of the next week we're not at, at uh, two or three hundred cases. What about rural hospitals? Uh, rural hospitals are facing the same challenges, uh, only they're probably more exacerbated uh, from the standpoint of resources. Um, hospitals, um, have, as we have talked about, um, have been on limited budgets, uh, limited margins, so that creates financial burdens for them. Uh, what has happened now is elective cases, uh, which is where hospitals were, were getting revenue to keep the doors open and, and keep uh, uh, providing services. Those are being uh, greatly diminished and in some cases completely shut off, which is the right thing to do uh, because of the exposure and the need that we're going to have for personal protective equipment uh, as this as this increases. As the exposures become greater, we'll need that equipment. To, to take care of them. And then again, those patients, if it's an elective procedure, you really don't need to be exposed to more potential risk. Are there any cases right now being treated in rural hospitals? Uh, there are cases uh, in, in a few of our rural hospitals that are being treated. What is the treatment? How, because there's really no drug, right? There is not. Uh, and I actually read this morning that uh, we're probably, what, 12 months away uh, from being able to find even uh, some type of vaccination. That's not even touching the treatment. Uh, ventilators uh, is where it ends up uh, if it gets that bad. And, of course, normal uh, respiratory uh, treatment. And so ventilators help people breathe? They do. They would be providing, uh, actually be providing their their uh, ability to breathe. Can you speak to how rural hospitals have been struggling and what may lay, lie ahead? This whole thing is overwhelming and looking for resources for these facilities. Sure. Uh, you know, we, we have a number of, of hospital beds uh, in the state of Mississippi. Uh, that is... It's where they are, where they're located, but as as the, the industry has gone, we've needed fewer and fewer inpatient beds. We've tried to move everything to an outpatient basis, as we should. That's all appropriate. Uh, we uh, None of us could have imagined uh, something like this hitting the United States, which will require in most places, uh, in the models that we've looked at, anywhere from 112 to 114 percent of hospital beds uh, in a in a moderate case scenario where a moderate number of individuals are exposed and, and a moderate number meaning about 20% of our population being uh, exposed and contracting the virus. Uh, if you do that, then uh, we're looking at the need uh, of more beds than we have in the, uh, in the state. That's one issue in itself. The other one is having the trained personnel to be able to care for those patients. 
if uh, we continue to go on, we certainly will have hospital uh, staff, we'll have care providers that will will get sick, and then they will come out of the out of the workforce to be able to take care of those patients. So that exacerbates our problem on having the number of beds and qualified personnel to take care of those patients. That is extremely harder for our small rural hospitals who have already decreased their staff uh, to accommodate what they normally provide. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thank you so very much. Always a pleasure. Please call anytime. Tim Moore is CEO of the Mississippi Hospital Association. Neshoba General Hospital in Philadelphia has screened over 100 people for the coronavirus. CEO Lee McCall echoes the financial burden rural hospitals are facing by canceling elective surgeries and procedures. He says Neshoba General can treat certain people who contract the COVID-19 but lacks an intensive care unit. He tells our Desiree Frazier those with serious respiratory problems won't be able to remain there. So now that we're facing this crisis, our hospitals are canceling elective procedures uh, in the OR, um, elective visits in the clinics, uh, and and by good measure. I mean, it's a good public health measure to try to keep people from reduced exposure uh, and transmission of the coronavirus. Uh, However, that, that affects us as organizations because we rely on patients coming through our facilities to continue our operations. So there's going to be significant downstream effect from this uh, by virtue of reducing uh, you know, the, those type of procedures, those surgeries, uh, those patients coming through the facility. Again, it's understandable. It's good measures, uh, good public health measures that we're taking. But... Uh, Rural hospitals and all hospitals are are facing financial struggles, and this is going to compound that significantly. Are you feeling any impact from the virus yet? At this time, we haven't had any positive patients in Neshoba County. We did set up a uh, telehealth screening program uh, at our organization, so nurse practitioners and physicians are screening patients as they call into our call center for any signs and symptoms, uh, patients that are symptomatic that are also with a fever uh, that may qualify for screening or refer to our mobile testing site uh, to be uh, tested for the coronavirus. And how many beds do you have? How many people could you support? So right now we're set up to staff 25 beds in the hospital. Uh, We have a 10-bed geriatric psych unit, but we also have a 160-bed skilled nursing facility. In your estimation, do you think that you could handle the virus as it moves into the county? We can handle it to a certain point uh, if it gets to the, the point where we're seeing other states and urban centers where patients are... Uh, possibly needing ICU care and getting ventilated. We we do not have an ICU at Neshoba General. So that is where uh, it will become very challenging and difficult to all rural hospitals uh, as whenever those patients that are hospitalized, if it gets to the point, them needing ICU care and being placed on, ventil- on ventilators, uh, that's, that's where it's going to become a great challenge. 
Lee McCall is CEO of Neshoba General Hospital. Coming up, a closer look at the TANF embezzlement case. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. COVID-19 has changed daily life in the U.S., and with news breaking by the hour, it can be hard to stay up to date. I'm Ari Shapiro. Join us every weekday for a new live conversation about the disease, what you need to know, what's coming next, and we'll answer your questions. The National Conversation with All Things Considered from NPR News. Tonight at 8 on MPB Think Radio. Right now, mpbonline.org is your resource to stay up to date on news about COVID-19. The coronavirus is a worldwide pandemic, and MPB is here to let you know how that affects Mississippi. mpbonline.org has an entire section dedicated to the coronavirus with links and updates from the Center for Disease Control and the Mississippi Department of Health. Visit our website right now, mpbonline.org, to find out what you need to know. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In early February, State Auditor Shad White announced the indictments of six individuals in what he described as Mississippi's largest welfare scheme. Former Department of Human Services Director John Davis was among those arrested, along with Nancy New and her son, Zach, executives with Mississippi Community Education Center. Since then, Clarion Ledger reporters Jack Bologna and Luke Ramseth have been following the scandal and the money. We joined Jack Bologna to take a closer look at another indicted figure, Brett DiBiase, and where the money trail has led them. Brett DiBiase uh, was getting welfare money to pay for his drug rehab in California, um, and it was money that was supposed to be going to uh, a company that was registered to him to actually teach uh, kind of like drug drug addiction classes, but that money allegedly was going instead to pay for his own drug rehab. I think we can't stress enough that TANF funds are for poor people, for people who yeah. are in desperate need of some financial assistance. What is, or could you determine, what is the relationship between all of these parties? What does, what does John Davis have to do with Nancy New and, and Zach New and the Mississippi Community Education Center or with Brett DiBiase? Basically, a few years ago, or several years ago, Mississippi and a lot of other states started opting to uh, give less money in uh, welfare benefits to individuals and started to give more in block grants to um, nonprofits like the Mississippi Community Education Center. And so they started denying more uh, low-income and, and poor people uh, for these individual benefits and instead relying on nonprofits to, to handle huge amounts of, of, the, of this money. And so John Davis... Uh, uh, as the director of the Department of Human Services here in Mississippi, that definitely occurred under him. And one of the biggest beneficiaries of these block grants was uh, the Mississippi Community Education Center, which is run by Nancy New. Um, it, you know, I'm not totally clear how all these people maybe met or, or got together initially, or you know how they knew each other. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is that they uh, worked together for several years, kind of all of them. And uh, a lot of TANF money went from the federal government to the State Department of Human Services and then to uh, this nonprofit, the Mississippi Community Education Center, uh, and did not go to uh, individual applicants for 
uh, or, or rarely went to individual applicants for welfare in Mississippi. I'm not, I'm not sure if that totally answered your question, but... No, no, that gives me a good idea. I wanted to bring up Paul Lacoste, is someone who has not been indicted, but received money as well. Can you tell us about his involvement or at least the money he received and for what it was supposed to go? Yeah, and, and I want to stress, you know, we, we did uh, sit down with Paul Lacoste uh, and interviewed him, and he and his attorney stressed that he was uh, that, he, that he was never told that this was TANF money, that this was welfare money, uh, that he had no knowledge of it being TANF or welfare money. And in the documents that we reviewed so far, we found no you know, evidence of, of him no, specifically knowing that this was welfare money. So I just want to make that clear. Uh, we saw through some document requests that he had a $1.4 million contract with the uh, state of Mississippi through you know, the Department of Human Services uh, and that he got paid, uh, I believe it was uh, about $1.2 million worth uh, of that contract before it was about canceled, I think, in the middle of the year. Uh, and so that money went to pay for a series of free fitness classes uh, that he offered throughout the state. You know, that's not an inherently bad program. I mean, who doesn't want Mississippians to be in better shape and to, uh, to you know, feel better about themselves, too? But uh, I think the question we have to ask is, is that what TANF money is supposed to be used for? Uh, and is it the most appropriate use of TANF money? Did you also see money spent on personal items by John Davis or Nancy New or Anne McGrew or any of the others who were indicted? So we did see, for John Davis, we saw a plane ticket. But for Nancy New, uh, what I think is, what I, what I want folks to maybe take away the most out of all this from, from our most recent investigation is that we saw that a lot of TANF money in a nine-month period, I'm talking about about $1.3 million worth of TANF money, uh, went to companies uh, that Nancy New's family uh, owns uh, or was connected to. Um, so, you know, welfare money that went to this nonprofit to, you know, uh, that went to this nonprofit ended up paying rent uh, at, you know, uh, at, for buildings that Nancy News family actually owned, or uh, there was a grant that was given to New Learning Resources, the school, the, pri- the, the series of private schools that, you know, she had founded. And I think when welfare money, or when any kind of public money is going to, uh, you know, an entity and that money is then being spent uh, at places where, you know, the people who run the entity also own those businesses. That is also something that is um, concerning. If there was millions of dollars that didn't go to the people who needed it, who were supposed to receive it, how did this go unchecked? Why didn't someone notice this? What kind of oversight isn't there? That, that is a great question, um, and what we've been told by the folks currently at the Department of Human Services is that John Davis, when he was director, had kind of a lot of power uh, to just unilaterally decide where contracts were going or who was getting money, um, but we are um, we are continuing to investigate and just look into, yeah, how did this go on for so long? Uh, without somebody maybe um, raising a red flag sooner. Um, but, but once again, the Department of Human Services say that they now have uh, some checks in place to prevent that kind of unilateral um, dishing out of, of contracts. You know, like the, like the current 
uh, executive director does not have the ability now to just say, you get a TANF contract, you get a welfare contract, uh, apparently like John Davis was able to do. Can we expect to see more from you and Luke in the Clarion Ledger on this? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, a yeah, lot more to come? Lot, <laughs> there's a lot more to come. I, I, I really, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to just take a minute and just really thank our subscribers because as part of this investigation, we've had to submit multiple records requests. And all those records requests, you know, they, they cost money, you know. It, it costs time and money. Uh, and it's our subscribers and, and people who subscribe to Clarion Ledger that allow us to pay for the records requests that then show how your tax dollars are being spent. So I just would please encourage everyone to follow along uh, uh, because I think there's still a lot more to be uncovered about how our tax dollars have been used, how our welfare dollars have been used, and whether or not it's illegal, I think it will still cause a great deal of concern uh, for folks and just, you know, make them wonder, is this the best way we could be spending uh, these welfare dollars? So, Giacomo Bologna and Luke Ramseth are the reporters who are covering this. Jack, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.